Well, welcome again one more time to Encounter. My name is Dirk Pastor here at Encounter. We're glad that you're here, especially glad that you're here, because today we're kicking off a new series called Tomorrow Today. And I just want to say that I think that this series has the potential of being one of the most, um, one of the most formative experiences, especially because of the long-term nature of it than, than we've ever done here before. So really glad that you're here today. Uh, but before we jump into the content of the message in the series, I just, I want to establish some common ground. So I'm going to ask a question for some hands. How many of you had a garden that you've grown any kind of food in at all? So either growing up, maybe you plan to, yeah, put them up, which is like everybody almost, right? That you've got a garden, you're kind of growing some food. If you, if you feel comfortable, and even if you don't, just try it anyway. Maybe the person that you came with or somebody new next to you, like tell somebody around you, what is it that you grew in your garden or what you're planning on growing? Coming up, do it now. Just tell each other, what was it? Awesome. I, I heard... Okay, guys, you're good. All right, don't get too friendly. We still got a lot to get through. Uh, I heard earlier this morning, um, just kind of like above everything, somebody just like shouted weeds. And I looked down and it was my wife. And I'm like, I do the gardening. So like, thank you for that. But... Uh, um, yeah, yeah, so I, I don't have a ton of experience. I, I want to like give you a heads up and warn you. I have, in fact, though, grown a tomato in my life. Like one, that was it. Thank, thank you for clapping. Awesome. No amens or clapping in church, but for that, yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> like I said, I have never professed to be an expert on this, except, um, except I do know something, right? For me, the planting process starts not with a question, this is important, not with the question of what is it that I'm going to put in the ground. But the planting process actually truly begins when I'm trying to answer the question, what is it later on in the season, what is it that I want to eat? Right? I'm not asking what I'm going to put in the ground. I ask, you know, uh, sitting on the back porch in the late summertime, you know, and I have a, a plate or a bowl in front of me, what is it that I want to enjoy something homegrown out of my garden? I mean, if I just, if I imagine myself eating a salad, probably not, but like I'm, I would go with like lettuce or, you know, like stuff like that. It more likely if I envision myself late summertime enjoying a bowl of salsa and chips, now we're talking, then we're probably doing, you know, peppers, tomatoes, something of that nature. My point, planting begins not with a question of what we're going to put in the ground, with, with a decision of what we're going to eat much, much later on. I just go to the store and you kind of, uh, planting process begins with looking at the big wall. And for me, like picking out what is it that I'm, you know, going to plant. We got cherry tomatoes here. We've got a packet of peppers and some cucumbers. And we pick these things up and this is the decision. Not what I'm necessarily going to put in, what I want to, what I want to eat. The reason why that's so important is because there's something at work in the Bible and in our gardening that we're going to call this morning the law of the harvest. And this is going to sound probably like beneath your intelligence level, like obviously. Don't, we're not, don't overthink it. There's not anything more to it than that. But the law of the harvest goes something like this. You pick what you plant right? I mean, don't, like I said, don't overthink it. It's not rocket science. If you're going to put cherry tomato seeds in the ground, you're going to get tomatoes later on in the season. The law of the harvest, you pick what you plant. If you put cucumber seeds in the ground, you're going to eat cucumbers later on that season. If you put pepper seeds in the ground, you're going to eat peppers later on. I mean, it's, it's not complicated. 
But the the Bible now picks up on this. And God in his wisdom says, there's a law at work that's a law of the harvest at work, not simply in gardening, but also in every other area of life. That it's true in every other area of life. And the Bible uses language, you will reap what you sow. In other words, you will pick what you plant in so many different areas of life. If you reap uh, or if you sow cucumbers or love, you reap cucumbers or love. You will reap what you sow. It's the law of the harvest. Now, that's where this series comes in. And that's why today we're talking about what happens tomorrow. Because we're at a season in life, a lot of us, where we have to make calls, make decisions, make promises, make commitments about the the kind of life that we're going to live, the kind of person that we're going to become tomorrow. And if you take nothing away from this time together except for this, consider the law of the harvest, that God uses the decisions you make today to form the person that you're becoming tomorrow. It's just as true for tomatoes as it is in every other area of life. Okay, Throughout this series, tomorrow, today, we're going to get into a few different areas of life where this is is monumentally important, I think, to to get this right. So we're going to look at, you know, later on in life, uh, and you may have looked around maybe today, and and some people that you know and you care about, your friends, that you look at and say they're working for nothing more than a paycheck. It's it's like weekend to weekend for them, and that's, that's all that it is. And so you might be in a season right now today of saying, I don't want to be that 20 years from now. I don't want to be that in the next season, whatever it is. Like, I want my work tomorrow to to, to have some value to it, to have some meaning to it, to have, like, fulfillment or to, like, somehow to make a difference in the world. And so there are decisions, commitments, and promises that need to be made today so that you will reap a harvest tomorrow that you will enjoy some of you have grown up and have watched your, your parents watch your parents kind of go through this excruciatingly like cold and unloving relationship. And so you've made a promise, you've made a decision today that's saying, tomorrow, I will not do that. My tomorrow will be different than theirs. I will not do, I will not make the choices, I will not be the person that they became. I will be different. I'm choosing today to lead a different life, and God is going to use that decision. Use that decision today to form who you become, who you become tomorrow. Now, there's a catch. And before we read in Galatians where some of this comes out, there's a catch. You just imagine for a minute, you got two guys. They've been friends forever, and, and they're having coffee in the morning like they have for a long, long time. And the one guy leans on the other guy, and he goes, you freaking out yet? <laughs> And the guy's like, what are you, freaking out about what? What are you talking about? He goes, what are you talking about? I mean, we both have kids that are just about to like go into college. And I don't know if you look, but it's like insanely expensive. It's not at all what it's like when we went to school. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, um, and, the, guy go, and the other guy goes, you know what, to be honest with you, um, like somebody had this conversation with me maybe 15 years ago that like this day would come. And so little by little, I started like squirreling things away, resources away, money away. It was never very much at a time, and it always felt like this monumental sacrifice. But looking back, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Because right now where I sit today, I'm, I'm you know, a little anxious, I guess, but I'm not freaking out about what the future is. I feel like I'm pretty prepared. And the other guy just simply like looks down and goes, I wish somebody had that conversation with me. 
both of these guys, both of these guys are experiencing the harvest of decisions made, commitments made, promises made years ago. And I simply just submit to you, and you can use finance, you can choose relationships, you can choose forgiveness, like whatever the thing is. Both guys are, are in the harvest season right now. And to one of them, the harvest tastes sweet and good. And to the other one, it is bitter and undesirable, and he would do anything for it to be taken off from his plate. Now, when the guy goes, I wish somebody had that conversation, here's, here's what's important to know. Someone did. He just chose not to listen. And whatever the harvest is, whatever your today, tomorrow thing is, somebody is speaking truth into your life, and you maybe haven't listened. Or you might have. Listen, um, listen to the Apostle Paul as, he, as he's going to say this in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. There's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Uh, words are also going to be on the screen behind me. Galatians 6. I want us to see this. Uh, I think it's hugely important. Paul writes this. It's a letter that he writes to the church in the region of Galatia, right? So this is a whole bunch of, it's like the churches in Kenton, in Ottawa County or something like that. It's like a whole collection of, of house churches. So when he, when he writes this, um, he's writing to these uh, cities, these churches in the cities of uh, Antioch, Iconia, Lystra, Derby, all of these, by the way, we, we find out in the book of Acts that Paul actually visited and helped start. So you just imagine the people that he's writing to are people that he stayed up having these late night conversations with, right? These are, these are people that he's not writing into a vacuum. He's writing, he knows their names, many of them at least. And like faces come to mind as he, as he writes these words down. And so I, I want us to see this less as like a theological treatise from on high and more as like a concerned friend looking out for another friend who's, who's, who's he's trying to get to live into the blossom into the Jesus movement to enjoy a harvest tomorrow, next season, that is sweet to the taste. And so you got these two guys, I wish somebody told me they did, we just maybe haven't listened. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 6, and we pick it up in, in verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And then this is our line, the law of the harvest says, amen, reaps what he sows. He picks what he plants. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The way that he begins, listen, don't be deceived. It's almost like Paul as a friend is pleading with, um, with these people, his friends, people that he knows, saying, oh man, do you, do you have any idea how easy it is to deceive yourself? Like whatever you're putting out there, whatever you're putting into the ground and planting now, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, and you're not totally sure what it's going to grow into, at least not yet. He, he goes, listen, if I could paraphrase what, he, what he's going for, do not underestimate. Don't underestimate how easy it is to deceive, to trick yourself first. Listen, just be on guard for that. Because the law of the harvest, you reap what you sow, you pick what you plant, it's going to come out no matter what you tell yourself. You know, it's going to grow into something later on. Maybe not today, maybe next season, 
maybe decades from now, but it will grow into something. And you don't, you don't want to be like that one guy just now finding out how bitter the decisions and choices, the commitments and promises that I made or didn't make, how bitter it tastes in the next season of life. You don't want that. Our friend Paul warns Galatia and us today in Kentwood in here. And so he goes on, right? He's going to pick it up, but I just, I, I want us, if, if we could, to look at, um, it was, some of us know, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Maybe you grew up in church, you might remember a few of them, even if you hadn't heard about it from some way. When, when, when he, Paul deliberately tells everybody, same author, and he goes, ah, you know, there's like some things that you plant that grow into something great. You know, they grow into love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and forbearance um, self-control. I think I got most of them at least. Um, there, there's some good things. Do you know where that was written? I mean, that came, that came paragraphs above where we just were, talking about the law of the harvest. It's just like immediately before it, Galatians chapter 5. And Paul also, what we, don't, we aren't aware of all the time, gives what he calls like the fruit of the sinful nature. I mean, this is like the fruit of the Spirit, but like the upside-down version. You know, like Stranger Things fan. It doesn't matter. Um, it, it's the bizarro. It's the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And he goes like, this is also a possibility. Listen, don't trick yourself because when it goes bad, it, it could go like really, really bad. And I would like to know what those are. I mean, I would like to know, like if I'm going to deceive myself, what might the harvest turn into later on. We have a, a list here. In Galatians 5, it says that the, that the acts of the sinful nature, and we just, just put them in, in like bullet point and just refine them up. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So it's like um, these including, but not limited to, like all of this stuff, right? But this is by no means an exhaustive list. Feel free to add your own. <laughs> the, the reason why I, I, I like asked to have this put up uh, in list form on the screen is Paul's warning in our passage today as a friend, a spiritual mentor, Paul says to the Galatians and also us, he goes, you have any idea how easy it is without even knowing it to plant something like this? Like you don't even know that it's growing in the garden of your heart before it's, it's harvest time and you're seeing like what it comes to full force. And man, when you bite into that, it's going to be bitter and it's going to be distasteful. It, and you will do anything to rid yourself of it. And he goes, like, you could have. You could have when it was far easier before it was planted, right? If I, if I could... We're not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. We're not going to like, you know, write anything down or bring it forward or come forward. Just nothing weird. Just for yourself and only you, and maybe if you share it with your small group later, that's okay too. But, but like, at least for right now, just look at the list and just look at it and have a moment of honesty with yourself, with your own heart, but between you and God, and to ask him, God, if there's something planted in the garden of my heart that is growing, what is it going to be? What, what could it be? Like if there's something here that, that later on in the next season when it comes harvest time, I will deeply regret just ask God, which of these could it be? 
You know, when, I, when I look at the list as a whole and just kind of individually, one of the things that I'm struck with is how so many of these things are like, are like good things flipped and turned bad. Like inherently good things that God has given us that they've sort of been like misappropriated for, like, like twisted around. And so instead of blossoming into something sweet and tasteful, it blossoms into something bitter and, and hateful. You know, I look just topping the list, the first one out there, sexual immorality. And, and I look at it and say, is it possible that God gave us this, this, this yearning inside of our hearts that all people across, like all cultures just have, this longing to connect with another person on this profoundly deep level? And then, and then we've taken that good, good thing that, that possibly, you know, God made it so that it would, it would propel us into this connection and this intimacy for, for a lifetime with another person. But, but then when we start like throwing it around and then we start like sharing it and, and when we start putting it around and, and visiting websites, like whatever it is that you're thinking, like it's just twisted and in the process, we don't experience deeper intimacy. We don't, get, we don't experience this, this, this longer relationship. We don't become more and more human. We actually become less and closed off. I look at the list and say, so many, idolatry and witchcraft even. You know, it's, it's possible, right, that, that God makes people. And again, we see this throughout like every culture in the entire world having some sense of not just the natural, what you can see and taste and hear and touch and measure, but also the supernatural. Like this understanding, this, this, this thing inside of us that says there's something out there besides what we can just see. And we know that like, it's there. And so we long after it and we try to like reach for it. And then when our, when our worship becomes for the created things instead of the creator that will eventually and inevitably let us down and will crumble under the pressure of the weight of our entire worship that we give it. And it blossoms into something ugly and, and, and hurtful. And God says, if you would only have assigned that to me, I would have not let you down. I would have been there. I am the only thing that will not take your life, but give it back to you at the expense of my own. Look at the list and it's a discord. You know, is it, is it possible that maybe in our, in our pursuit of justice and finding out what's right and what's true, we are just as concerned with demonstrating that the other person is wrong. And then discord comes up. And as we, as we find communities of, of like-minded people who, who live like we do, who think like we do, maybe who look like we do, and then we like hive off because after all, isn't community a good thing? But, but after the community turns inward on itself, all of a sudden we start to develop these factions. And like our own group is more important than every other group out there. And Paul, our friend and mentor, is warning us and saying, is there something on the list? Is there something in your heart that has just started to grow that once we see come harvest time, I don't want that for you. And he goes on, he goes, however, that's the ax, that's the fruit of the sinful nature, but there's also the fruit of the Spirit. Before we see fruit of the Spirit, it's worth pointing out the fruit of the Spirit is not like the fruit of Dirk at my best. <laughs> it's, it's not even mine. 
at all. It's the fruit of somebody else completely. This is actually the fruit of Dirk, like Dirk without God. You know, most of us without God, this is what we tend towards. And then God breaks in and he says, however, the fruit of the, of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I learned it as patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You might have a word, you know, in store for like, what's the, what's the thing planted in the garden of your heart that doesn't belong? Now's your opportunity to, to ask God the simple question, what maybe isn't planted, at least not much yet, that, that should be there? What do I want to see today so, so that tomorrow when it grows and when it comes harvest time, when it comes picking time, I'm going to be so glad that God planted that in my heart so long ago. You just like keep those two in it, one for the sinful nature and, and one, for the, one for the fruit of the Spirit. And just look at the list and go, you know, at the next office or the next cubicle over, I have no love for so-and-so, whoever it is. And just ask God, would you give me love? We prayed, Zach prayed this morning earlier, I loved it, that God not only loves us, but likes us and prefers, if you can believe it, to spend eternity with us when he could have spent it without us. God, you know what it means to love somebody. Would you give that to me? Uh, God, uh, would, you, would you help me out? Especially when it comes time, when the kids in the far back seat of the van spill their juice for literally the thousandth time, it's every day for three and a half years, would you give me this much self-control? Like, before I just go off, like, would you just help me out that much? Would you grow that in me? And by the time it comes picking season, when it comes to harvest time, and we bite into that fruit, and it tastes so sweet, so sweet. And here's, here's the best part, I think, is that God, God being the one who created the universe and sent his son, we know so much about God and what he told us about himself, that he actually wants to do these things inside of us. The invitation of accepting to follow the way of Christ is an invitation to having Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, live inside of you and grow these things. He wants to grow them inside of all of us, if you could believe it. He wants to grow them inside of us, just not all at once. Listen to the next line that Paul gives us in Galatians 6, verse 9. It says, Oh, okay, let us not become weary in doing good for, let's say it together, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up at the proper time. I'm, I'm standing there, right, in front of the, in front of the seed selection thing. And, uh, and I want to know not just what to plant. Remember, I want to know how to eat salsa later. And, uh, and I'm looking at these things and I'm going, okay, they say like right, you know, right on the back of them, it's like time to harvest uh, 40 days, time to harvest 60 days, time to harvest 75 days, <laughs> 75 days, <laughs> 75 days after like we grow it from seed into like seedling popping up out of the dirt and we transplanted another 75 days. You know, I take that away and I'm going, you know, maybe it's true that, that the harvest will come just not in the same season that you planted. You know, the promise of God that the, the harvest, you, you will pick what was planted, what the Spirit planted in you, just 
at the proper time. And the proper time seems to never be in the same season that it was planted. I can think of a totally hypothetical scenario of somebody who uh, January 1, you know, right, steps up on the scale and, uh, and sees the number on the scale and going, 232 pounds. I've never weighed 232 pounds in my life. Something needs to change. And a decision right then and there, a commitment, a promise was made that, that hopefully is honored over a very long period of time. And it starts later that night with his niece or nephew's uh, birthday party. And, there's, and, and you show up and there's, like, uh, there's pizza there with a like garlic you know, butter crust and the, and the dipping sauce. Oh, the dipping sauce. And there's cake and ice cream. And there's like everybody, I know it's lunchtime hanging with me, but, but it's, like, it's such a party atmosphere. And the, and the person goes, you know what? I made a promise and I made a commitment and come time to harvest, I would love what I pick to be what I planted, something sweet and delicious and pleasant. So uh, just coffee for me. And makes a good decision until the next day when he steps out on the scale, excited to see the number, and it says 233 pounds. I could have had cake and dipping sauce together. Forget about the pizza. Just put, all right? You know, and Paul's words coming out. Don't give up. Don't become weary. Hang in there. The harvest will come, but almost never in the same season that you've planted. This isn't a weight loss thing, not only. But you know that couple or, or, that, or that person who looked, that we mentioned earlier, who looked at the, the marriage of his parents and he goes, they're living this cold, unaffectionate, loveless marriage and it will never be that way. I will never go down that road. I will never become that person. And then seven or eight or nine years into it, when things, get, when things get extraordinarily difficult and you're going, I, I love you. I made a commitment to love you. I just, I don't like you right now. And it is so unbelievably hard to be kind and to maintain self-control. And I just want to fly off the rails again and again and again. And it's like, I am tired of being the first one to apologize, even though she started it. I'm tired of saying sorry, even though what he said was so much more egregious than what I said. I'm just tired. And I want to use the words of Paul and just sit there. And say, hang on. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't get tired from doing what is right. The harvest will come and it will be sweet and it will be taste delicious. The harvest will come just almost never in the same season that you planted. Hang in there. I think that one of the reasons why we haven't seen more, I'll just speak personally, why I haven't seen so much more change in my own life is because I give up way too quickly. I give up quickly and just move on to the next thing. And the promise of God is that he will change you at the proper time. And then Paul just, he gives us this picture about the future and, and, and this vision about what it might be like. And I, and I love what he says. He goes, and in the last verse, in verse 10, he goes, therefore, you know, in light of all of this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do good. Do good. 
do good and reap a harvest later on. Do good. I, I don't know about you guys. It seems uh, far too small. <laughs> I mean, Paul, we're talking about dramatic life change. And your advice is like, I don't know, as opportunity arises, do good. You know, and, and see the change. Paul, I was really hoping for something much more dramatic. <laughs> I was really hoping for something so much bigger. These, as opportunities arise, that's all. Do good. Do good. As opportunities arise, like, you know, I have a good back and a working snowblower. My neighbor has one of those things. <laughs> as an opportunity comes up, do good. Do good. Nobody's going to give you uh, a, a, a medal of commendation for your acts of valor on the battlefield of your neighbor's driveway. Nobody's going to do that, especially if you use a snowblower. I know that firsthand. Uh, but do good. Do good as opportunities come up. Do good. I heard, it, I heard it said once that, in fact, greatness is little more than good compounded by time. You know, and Paul is thinking about helping somebody blossom into the Jesus follower that God promised that they can be. I, I, part of me wonders, right, if, if, if what he wasn't getting behind that is just do good as opportunities arise because greatness is on the other side. And greatness isn't much more than goodness compounded over time. Do good today. You will not win a medal for it, but do it anyway. Do good today as opportunities arise, and tomorrow you might also do good, and then you have the beginnings of what might be a habit. Do it again a third day in a row, and you might not just have a habit, you might have a way of life. Do good. Do good. Compound it over time, and it might even lead to greatness. That's what's at stake. What a picture, what a promise. I heard a story earlier this week just that, that points us in, into what's at stake. Because Paul began this passage with, with saying, on the one hand, it's not just a, a bitter life here and there. On the one hand, he goes, it's destruction in verse, verse 7. The, the fruit of the sinful nature, that first list, that first word that you have in your mind, the end result, the, the harvest is destruction. But the end result on the other side is nothing short, he says, of eternal life. And listen to this. The difference between destruction and eternal life may not be as big, may not be as dramatic as you once thought. It may happen much slower over a much longer season of time. But it is coming, and the difference is dramatic. To illustrate, I heard a story earlier this week. This is early 20th century. It is just after the sinking of the Titanic. So everybody's spooked about, uh, about ships and collisions. And, and there, was a, there was an accident just off the coast of the Carolinas between the USS Monroe and the USS Nantucket. It was a collision between two ships that ended up costing the lives of like something to, like 24-ish or so people. And so because the Titanic uh, sinking had just happened, it has everybody kind of rattled. So the United States Congress calls for a special investigation of the ships and calls the captains forward to testify. Uh, Captain Johnson of the USS Monroe, he gets on the witness stand and he shares with everybody, he, he shares the reason what happened that he was piloting his ship, the 
the USS Monroe with a compass that deviated from true north by only about and up to two degrees at a time. And he said it was an insignificant amount of deviation to necessitate a recalibration of his compass and a new instrument panel on the ship. And then several dozen people lost their lives. The conclusion was that two degrees deviation in the wrong direction leads to catastrophic results and potentially even loss of life. So I want to ask two questions today. I want to ask the the first question for you. In light of the fruit of the sinful nature and the fruit of the spirit, is there a sense in in which your heart it needs some sort of recalibration to true north. You know, as a way to avoid severe or certain destruction, is there something that you're, that you're looking at and going, man, if I head in this direction for long enough, the harvest is going to be so bitter. And if I could just move the needle two degrees and recalibrate my heart around God's true north, might it make all the difference in the world as I move from a life marked by destruction and a war path in my way to a life of life and love and joy and peace and kindness and self-control? And the other question that I have for you is collectively as a whole, collectively as a whole nation, is it possible that we have lost We have lost and found ourselves miscalibrated around what is true north. And are we on a path that it doesn't look like much right now, but if if headed down for long enough, we will completely lose who we are and what we're built on and head down a path of destruction when we're only two degrees away from recalibrating around God's true north. What I'm saying, and I will expose my bias and tell you that my wife and my dad and my grandparents had all immigrated to this country. And the latter group immigrated as refugees from a bombed out post-war Europe. And they came through flying over Ellis Island and seized the promise and seized the promise of, of, of giving me you're tired and you're worn. Come to me Come to me, huddles of masses and anybody yearning to be free. And have have we deviated two degrees in the wrong direction, forgetting what Jesus said in Matthew 25, when he looked at the people and he said, this isn't a question of if, but when I come again. Everybody will call before my throne, all peoples. Everybody will be called in front of my throne and I'll put goats over here and I'll put sheep over here and to the sheep I'm going to say, you righteous ones. You righteous ones because, because when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink and, and when I was a stranger, you welcomed me in and when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a prisoner, you came to visit me and then people, the sheep are going to ask out, they're going to, they're going to wonder, When? Jesus will tell them what you did for the least of these you did for me I want us to be aware 
as a whole and as individuals, that the Bible calls us out and says, everybody, without exception, has fallen short. So when I, when I ask a question about, when I ask about how it is that you have deviated, we all have. If you would this week, is just have an honest moment with God, and maybe it starts with only you and God, and just ask how it is that he would, he would recalibrate your heart around his true north and save you from destruction and experience the blessed life, the eternal life. When I ask you to ask him, this isn't a metaphor or figurative language. We literally ask him. I invite you to stand right now and let's pray together and ask the God who wants so badly to grow these good things in our life. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you've told us through your inspired words in Romans that we have all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, of you. And so we ask, Lord, that you recalibrate our hearts around what's important eternally, that, that you move us, you save us. Maybe that means a shift of just two degrees, maybe less, maybe more. It doesn't matter, Lord, because anything short of being guided into your love and your grace leads away from you. And Lord, we don't want to live a life void of your presence. So God, stir something inside of us. Stir something inside of us, especially when we look towards the world and we see that we can't change the world. We look towards our nation or our communities or even our families and we say, Lord, we can't change any of those. But God, you can change us and you can recalibrate our hearts. That, that when we read in your word that, that you, Jesus, resurrected from the dead and came back to life, God, that is something that lives inside of us. That you're telling a redemption story, a resurrection story. That you're going to resurrect each one of us, one heart at a time. And that and that, that will reverberate outside of us. And the, and the resurrection will come, not just in our hearts, but then in our families, and then in our communities, and then in our nation, and then in our world. And one day, Jesus Christ, you will come back and make every wrong right again. And there will be no more pain and no more tears and no more sorrows for the old order of life is over. It's past. God, make this story so, this resurrecting story so clear to us, especially now. Amen.